Father, thank you so much for these men coming out on a Saturday, and uh, thank you for the good food and the coffee. Thank you for Gary and his service once again to this group, and we just ask for uh, clarity of understanding, and as we have a, uh, some groups breaking up into groups and having discussion, I just pray that, the, that our minds and um, our intellects would be sharp uh, to engage in good discussion and uh, come up with good answers to the questions that have been uh, uh, put together. We pray, Father, for, um, for your grace upon us that we would continue to grow in our understanding and our knowledge and our application of that knowledge and wisdom in wise living uh, to your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today, we are going to um, hit the subject on the privilege of being human uh, we've been working through uh, this section called Biblical Anthropology. So it's the study of what it means to be a human being uh, from, from the vantage point of Scripture, from God's revelation. And uh, along the way, as we've been going through the study, we have pointed to examples in our culture that show, uh, really, as we look around, some incredible confusion about what it means to be a human being, what it means to be male and female, but even a human being in particular. Um, lots, of, lots of differences of opinion, diverging interests and all that. Uh, and we see examples uh, all throughout our culture. We've talked, about <clears throat> we've talked about the road that's been taken in our day to uh, gender confusion and sexual degradation, uh, paved with things like way back in the 50s, 60s, no-fault divorce, um, we've seen heterosexual and homosexual immorality. Uh, you, that's been ubiquitous. Uh, t- with technology, it's made it even more ubiqu- ubiquitous, this uh, sexual deg- degradation and gender confusion uh, through, and, and we could say with technology, it's made it ubiquitous and invasively uh, aggressive uh, through pornography. So we see in pornography in particular divorcing sex from an interpersonal embodied experience and detaching it from interpersonal narrative that each participating individual shares a past, present, and future together. Pornography completely destroys that connection. Uh, So it distorts sex, sex sets false expectations for sex, and dehumanizes people by treating human beings merely as commodities, as means to uh, self-centered ends. Um... That, that ubiquity of pornography just continues to reinforce treating other human beings as objects and commodities. And the consequences of this pornography uh, show up in divorce, uh, show up in the destruction of marriages and destruction of, uh, you know, just a, a, a terrible, terrible view toward men and women. We talked about uh, in all this sexual... Um, Again, this is just painting, a, painting the picture of what our world is, how it's coming apart with regard to its understanding of male and female relationships, its understanding of humanity in particular. We've talked about this taking place in the battle of the sexes, the satanic attack on men and on women, and really turning men and women against one another uh, in the culture. We've talked about feminism how men historically have contributed to feminism by shirking their own responsibility, engaging in the sexual revolution, and especially in the support for abortion. 
trying to empower women, which is really destroying women and destroying themselves. Um, talked about today's reaction to feminism in an artificial, muscled-up masculinity that still treats women as enemies. Um, we talked about the attack on women, uh, especially the attack on young girls who, through their exposure to pornography, become afraid of men, afraid of sex, and they flee from womanhood into things like lesbianism and transgenderism. Talked about the trajectory of the sexual revolution that's followed the Romans one path that's gone from heterosexual, heter heterosexual immorality to homosexual immorality and then to an entirely debased mind. And we're seeing that debased mind today in transgenderism. And it's not just in those who embrace or practice some form of transgenderism, but it's by those who accommodate it. It's by an entire society that tries to accommodate this. Remember we talked about the male collegiate swimmer named Will Thomas, who joined the University of Pennsylvania's women's team as Leah Thomas. And he's a man competing with women, and he has no shame about taking first place in women's events. That's, that's an attack on femininity. It's an attack on, on, on masculinity, femininity, and humanity itself. We talked about the brutality of transgenderism with chemical alteration and surgical mutilation of children in the name of the right to pursue one's authentic self. That's exactly what Will Tom, the language that Will Thomas was using about the need to pursue his authentic self. Um, but this is a, a cruel and arbitrary, and it's an unreliable and barbaric master, the self, the psychologized self. The barbarism is probably most fully manifest in the taking of human life in abortion. Modern-day Moloch worship, uh, sacrificing our children to Moloch, the central right of secular religion in the sexual revolution is abortion. Um, it's an out-and-out -out attack on humanity, an attack on the image of God in mankind. So we talked about things like the abortion industry, selling the, it sells the body parts of human babies with a pretense of advancing medical research, but really it's just a cash business. We've talked about the, that evil industry that's defended and propped up by philosophers and ethicists like Peter Singer, who make philosophical distinctions between a human being and a human person uh, in order to justify abortion. Abortion is utterly barbaric, anti-human, as Carl Truman put it, the, it's, quote, the graphic image of human identities being flushed away like aborted fetuses, end quote. There's, um, all these things are examples that we've talked about in the last number of weeks or uh, sessions that we've had on anthropology and have provided a springboard for us to get into what the Bible teaches about true uh, anthropology, biblical anthropology. I've got um, one more example of this cultural confusion I want to bring up today. This one's a little closer to home, not closer to home in the fact that we're practicing it or we're seeing it in our church or anything like that, but closer to home geographically. The Jefferson County Public Schools evidently are having a tough time knowing how to deal with an influx of furries in their high schools. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this past Monday, 
October 31st, 2022, Sean Boyd with CBS Colorado published an investigative journalism story. This is the title of the, the uh, title of the story. Emails show Jeffco school administrators knew furries were an issue, but publicly denied it. I saw that headline and I had to look up what in the world is a furry? Does anybody know? Wow, I'm so surprised. Ron, do you know what a furry is? Yeah. Tell, tell. <laughs> okay, apart from what a furry that you and Claudette went to the mountains to shoot the other day. What, what, is, what is a furry? I, I first read about it um, um, when we were down in Alabama about eight months ago. Say it isn't so. In Alabama? It's in there, very much so in there. And um, um, there's a guy in the church there locally that writes an article called 1819 News, and it's a pod, and it, that was brought up by one of the writers. And it was, it was just stunning and how um, pervasive it is in the schools all around and that it had gotten so bad. So, so what is it, first of all, that well, it's gotten bad? It's children that um, uh, believe that they're an animal. They believe they're a dog or a cat or, or whatever type creature. And so they have this, they have a uniform and they wear this, they wear this furry uniform to school. Costume, yeah. They will not, they don't talk. If they're like a dog, they bark or they or like a cat or whatever. And it got so bad, they even brought up that they were putting litter boxes in the restroom. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that is being denied as like that was made popular and gone went viral uh on the joe rogan experience program but that joe rogan was misinformed when he talked about that so i've 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 come to discover that but so so just like ron's saying thank you ron i had no idea that <laughs> you of all people i'm like no why would ron know this Wayne, you must say something. It, interesting point about this. This actually goes back to the 90s, and it actually comes out of Shintoism in Japan. Interesting. Um, in the whole anime, anime. stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Where, like, the spirits of animals yes. made it okay for people to dress up like this in Japanese culture. And then that came across as a Western commercial thing and hit our weird view of humanity, which then took it up as a perverted thing. I just thought it was like a goofy thing on what does a fox say, you know, that whole that video. But that's but people are doing that for real adults. And so a furry and this is a I'm getting this from the website FurScience.com. Yeah, it's a science. Furries are people who create for themselves an anthropomorphized animal character, an alter ego called a fursona. So furry plus persona equals fursona. And they identify as this fursona and they act it out in public, uh, making themselves like a living avatar. So some furries wear elaborate costumes or paraphernalia such as animal ears or tails or represent themselves as anthropomorphic animals in online communities such as Second Life. I guess that's a game or something. By the way, um, fur science, 
That's a, that's a thing. That's a, it's the public name for the International Anthropomorphic Research Project, a group of interdisciplinary professors who have studied over 40,000 furries, these individual people dressing up like animals. Some colleges and universities are actually treating this like a legitimate field of scholarly study. So according to the website, furries are about five times more likely to identify as exclusively homosexual than the general population. About 20% of these people call themselves Therians. That's people who believe they're spiritually connected to animals um, and are less than or more than 100% human. They're an animal trapped in a human body or were an animal in a former life. So that sounds like what you were describing, Wayne. Another subset, so that's, there's furries, therians, and then this, another subset called other kin. Other kin are those who, like therians, feel spiritually connected to non-human species, but the species extend to mystical species like dragons, griffins, or minotaurs. Still anime, okay. So in one sense, we could, we could smile and laugh and say that Furries seem like nothing more than childish make-believe, but these uh, really aren't just kids anymore. They're not just children. They're high schoolers. They're young adults. 75% of these people are 25, under 25 years old. So what's the harm in all this, you might say? Isn't it just dress-up and costumes and people having fun? I think it's another indication of a wider trend in the culture and in the world reverting back to an older paganism. I, I know that these people, you know, mostly 75% of them are under 25 years old. And to get a job, they're going to have to scrap the silly costumes. But you got to wonder what kind of, if they've been doing this and practicing this, even if they do scrap the costumes to go get a job, what kind of pagan ideas are they taking with them into later life? When, when they become the politicians and the administrators, what are they going to tolerate? Already we see in broader society, many seem uninterested or even scared to stand against this kind of foolishness in the schools. That's what's happening right now in the Jefferson County Public Schools. High school administrations, in the interest of diversity and equality and inclusion, keep on accommodating an increasingly bizarre set of expressions of the psychologized self. And in higher education, go beyond high school to college and university administrations, the faculty, they're promoting, celebrating, and inventing all this stuff and passing it down. So back to this story by CBS Colorado's Sean Boyd. One parent named Darlene Edwards wrote the Jeffco administration to complain and says in the article, she says when her 14-year-old son came home from high school or from school and said classmates are dressing up in animal costumes, she initially urged him just to ignore them. Um, and then she says it got progressively worse. She said her, uh, her son is on the autism spectrum, and he protested when she said just to ignore them. He said, but mom, they're scratching, they're hissing, and they're barking. There's another story on this Jeffco situation in which Darlene Edwards is also uh, um, quoted, and she told the reporter, his, her son said, he's like, mom, they're wearing collars and leashes, and they're being walked around by other kids. She said he's, he was getting agitated and overwhelmingly frustrated. In some of these situations, they're snarling 
and hissing and biting at and scratching other students. So they've, some of these parents have been trying to put this in the category of bullying. It's some kind of a bullying behavior. Anyway, I guess that gets administration's attention. Edward says her son became so upset that she sent an email to the Jeffco school district saying, he doesn't see the fairness of these students being able to act inappropriately and dress in a manner that is disruptive to learning. Yeah, good point. According to her sixth grade niece, she told the district, those kids also walk on all fours in the hallway, eat with their face in their food, and refer to themselves as animal avengers. If you go to the website jeffcokidsfirst.com, you can read, and I read through a bunch of the emails that show Jeffco public school officials reacting to the complaints internally and, and acknowledging it internally, but then when they t- talk to the public, they're dishonest with the parents and the media, denying the issue, suppressing the issue. It's very interesting reading. That's a whole other topic for a, another time. But I want to pose these questions to you before we get into what we're going to do today, but what, what gives rise to these kind of strange subcultures like furries, therians, and other kin? Or anime, like Wayne was talking about and came up in the 90s. So what gives rise to these really weird subcultures, and then why is this a thing at all in any of our schools? Why does it become a thing? Why does it become something in society at large? Or you might ask the question this way, what explains society's tolerating and thereby legitimizing what is patently stupid and foolish. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, it's all rooted back to the abandonment of what absolute truth is. Yeah. So when truth becomes subjective, I mean, we talked about this a thousand times, but when truth becomes subjective, your truth, my truth, any truth, no truth, and it's it's removed and not introduced into into, into scripture, what is God's revealed truth, what is those things that we must do and those things that we must not do, then there's nothing to be done except to drift left into paganism. Yeah, it, I remember back in, you know, probably in high school and then college classes in particular, where there was actually, they were try, actually trying to make a plausible argument that there was only one absolute, and that absolute is that there are no absolutes. And and they they didn't they didn't want to acknowledge the, the fact that that's a self-contradictory statement, and, and, but, but it seemed like that was being argued. Now it's not argued anymore as like a plausible thing, but it is practiced in the common culture that there are no absolutes, that all truth is relative, and everything is subjective, and that's why they talk about his truth, her truth, their truth. And, you know, truth has, a, has an adjective in front of it to describe where it's coming from. It's just, now it's just perspectivalism, you know, what perspective do you hold? So I'll hand over here, Brad. Yeah, it's a breakdown of moral constraints. Even in a society and a culture that's not Christian-based, it goes against the culture of that civilization because they establish traditions, culture, and, and want to reinforce that. And this kind of behavior just goes against the grain of everything and and you think you see something new there's nothing new under the sun yeah and, and even organizations are attacking our culture specifically knowing that tears <coughs> our culture our society yes it's attack on christianity it's attack on culture 
and my wife and I discussed this, and it's, it's, it's appalling in a sense that whether it's this, CRT, or gender identity, they got to lie about it. Say it's not happening. Oh, no, it's not happening. Yeah. They got to lie, and you push this stuff and try to hide it. That's such a wonderful thing. Why are they lying? Exactly. One, of the, one of the ways we can describe culture is a passing on from generation to generation the values of previous generations. And so that's, that's the fight right now is what are the values to pass on? And, and currently, the values that are being passed on are like you're describing. They are deconstructive. They are dehumanizing. They are, they're, they're just absolutely trying to rip the fabric out of society, and there's, they want to tear it down, and there's really no plan for what to build it into, what the utopia looks like on the other side. But this culture, what's inherited, again, when we go back to the loss of absolutes, the loss of an absolute standard of right and wrong and true and false, then it's any man's game as to what the culture is going to pass down. And so that's where we are. And it goes right back to the lack of absolutes and everything uh, relative. Well, what you guys are saying is just the, the inevitable progression of uh, this uh, institutional insanity that we're seeing. It's the inevitable progression of what Paul called depraved mind. Yeah. You know, they're depraved, and it's, it's just continuing on. Um, and it is just, it's, there's nothing beyond the pale, that, nothing. Now that uh, we can we are allowed to judge by any kind of standard, so that leaves the floodgates open for accepting anything, mm -hmm. and it's just been cascading now throughout the last. There's no rational evaluation or judgment allowed, you know, things like that. We're we're watching, you know, in the Western world that that was, you know, gloriously, and and graciously by God affected by Christianity, by the Christian worldview. We're watching that high watermark then de depart. We're falling from that and falling away from it. But think about the Christians in the New Testament. They never enjoyed that high watermark. That they, this is the world that they were living in completely. So they had to emerge from that. And I think that we that's what we need to build up again, is to emerge from that wake. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to build on exactly that point. The Shintoism I was talking about before, you know, it's, it's the same kind of natural spiritualism yeah. that 100 years ago would have seen women in some random rural area here in the United States burning sage in a field to drive evil, evil spirits away. Yeah. Now, you know, you've got this idea of natural spirits being combined with this idea of personal identity shoving it together and it's it's the same um, resistance against their creator as any other kind of idolatry it is it is it is indeed and it goes right it, you know we're seeing that happen in this country with a return back to the native american indian religions uh that were here before any of us you know any of our ancestors came yeah. if they're going to allow men to identify as women and then women to identify as men they can't draw a line right now because it hinders their movement to draw a line on this where they then say that men can't identify as a dog and women can't identify as a cat or whatever it might be. Because if they start putting parameters on things, then they're setting the absolutes and they, they can't 
it, it goes against their ideology to do that. That's, That's right. The same logic is, is driving the unraveling of any distinctions, right? So anything is accepted. One more, uh, Brad. <coughs> It used to be that uh, peers and teachers and so forth had a, a little bit of a spine and would say what they're doing. And, and there would be something to, to drive that back. Now there's a true fear of man that if I speak out against this, you're going to be torn down. You are going to be destroyed into something where um, the attacks on people who are just saying, stop being silly, uh, you can't do it anymore. So right. that's, that's the same thing. People are not brave enough to do it. Yeah, they're they're being um, they're being told that if you're if you cannot pursue uh, what you feel like you are on the inside, you're being marginalized and you're made a you are a victim of some oppressive administration or oppressive um, you know European hegemony that wants to rule and suppress. So you're right. It's and now now every teacher and administrator is afraid of litigation coming from students or parents that say you're denying our rights, our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which means a, a psychologized self and whatever whatever I want. Yeah, that's right. So in in one sense, I mean, all those all those answers are you know spot on and just coming from the same thing from a different angle. But I, I think this is the logical consequence, really, of our Dar, our Darwinian theology that's been being applied to sociology. After all, if we're nothing more than animals, then all social communities that develop among human beings are legitimate expressions of what it means to be a human. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is to be rejected. Nothing is to be regulated. Jeffco parents are pushing back. We can only hope for an injection of sanity and common sense to stay the, uh, the lunacy, but it is a tidal wave here of Romans 1. This, this Darwinianism really leads to a rejection of what um, the Peter Singer and other ethicists call speciesism or human exceptionalism. The idea that homo sapiens are anything special or anything superior to the other animals the other animals. So in the Darwinian worldview, when humans are not special, but have just, ev just evolved from, a, from lower life forms, they're just, a, they're just an extension of all the animal kingdom, and they're really no different. They're not exceptional, and as we're seeing, the world turns into, frankly, turns into a nightmare. This is, I can't remember who said it over here, but this is nothing new. It's another consequence of the age-old sin of idolatry and rebellion against God. Romans 1, 21 to 23 says, For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's what we're living in right there. Rejecting God, they reject the image of God in humanity, and that leads to lesser views and degraded views of what it means to be human. So, as we said before, this is a barbaric, tragic consequence of sin. Bad theology leads to bad anthropology, which means the degradation, the mutilation, and the ultimate death of humanity. There's a principle here, when they exchange the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things, the principle is you become like what you worship. 
You become like what you worship. You'll find that in Psalm 115, 8. So it stands to reason that those who worship and serve creatures will become like them, like the birds, the animals, the creeping things, i.e. furries. That's what they'll turn into. So this furries trend, I just want to emphasize here, is not a harmless thing. It's not innocent, cute, or playful fun. It's an expression of idolatrous rebellion against God. It's a rejection of the supreme place of humanity over all creation. And it's a denial of the distinct and special privilege of what it means to be a human being altogether. So before we make, and, and when we, hopefully next time or maybe the time after that, when we make a transition uh, moving from anthropology to homardiology, so the doctrine of man to the doctrine of sin, I want to stop here and take some time to reassert the privilege of being human. The privilege that is ours in, in being a human being. We only understand this from the biblical worldview, the, the worldview provided by Christian theism. It comes from the doctrines that we derive from the Bible. I hear a, a lot of talk in conservative circles these days uh, about the privilege of being American, and, and I echo that. I, I, I rejoice in that. We live under the wisdom of our founding fathers and the founding documents of our great nation, like the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights, uh, starting with the Declaration of Independence, and its preamble says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, and uh, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among many in our country, though, these truths are no longer self-evident. They're not. Some men now, and women, and furries, are more equal than others. Many refuse to believe in a creator. And with the definition of what it means to be human up for grabs, the unalienable rights are no longer unalienable. That is, they're no longer immutable. They're under constant attack, and the move is for further and further. I think Bill used the, the term progressive. It's a progressivism. As Christians, we understand that prior to the founding documents of our country, the, the foundation of those documents is something that's even more fundamental that's been lost in our country, and it is this idea of absolute truth. Absolute truth, and the, this fundamental statement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all it contains, including mankind. God's word is the final standard. It is, it is the arbitrator between everything. It is God has spoken. God has said what is. He's created all that is. He's created laws. He's created physical laws to govern the physical universe. And he's created spiritual laws to govern the spiritual universe, to govern, govern our hearts. But all this is under constant attack. God created human beings in his image as living souls, which means we are exceptional. And I want your kids and your grandkids, everyone under the sphere of in your influence to have an opportunity to hear about the privilege of being human. So what we'll do is I'm going to ask you to break up into four groups, and we're going to read and discuss passages of Scripture and come up with a list of privileges of being human. Um, I'm going to make sure you get the, the questions here by email for all you guys who come to uh, uh, this, this uh, course. 
I'm going to send these all out to you so you can have discussions with your kids, grandkids, and and others during the holiday season. We got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, and I'd just like you to be able to have these things in your mind and and maybe in your inbox uh, for you to start up a discussion with your families. Um, And you're going to be well informed by the discussions you have today. So we really need to reassert the privilege of being human beings. And it's not just for the instruction of our families, uh, but it is an avenue of evangelism as we talk to people in this, in this confused culture and help them to understand the privilege of being a human being. It's also an aspect of our discipleship with believers because every Christian who comes into this church comes out of that world. We all come out of that world and we all come into this church with that world in us and we need to have it pushed out of us and, and retaught and reasserted the privilege of being a human being. So, have you break up into four groups? We've got Gary Odie, Brett Hastings, Bill Wilcutts, Mark Alexander, each of them leading a group. So let's just get you four men to go to different poles of the, or different corners of the room here. And then you guys form your chairs around them and we'll call you back together. All right. Somebody's still talking. Yeah, you. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll pick this discussion up next time, but leaders, assign somebody in your group to kind of collate your answers and uh, in, maybe into a, a, a document, like a Word document or something, so you can read it legibly, and also your list. So the answers to your questions and also your list. Assign somebody in your group to do that, um, you know, preferably someone who uh, can spell and has good grammar. <laughs> so make sure, it's, make sure it's cogent and readable and all that. For next time. Okay, so, um, and then the second thing, guys, I'd like to go, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to go around uh, and just, just with each of the groups, just, um, so we'll start over here with Gary's group. You were going through uh, Psalm 8, answering questions, come up with a list of privileges to be human. What was, just give us in, in like 30 seconds or a minute, just what was the kind of a theme that you felt coming out of Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of? And what was the theme coming out of that? Um, just as an overview. Is it Joe? Just the whole discussion, the tone and tenor of your discussion, summarize that in 30 seconds. God is creator of all things, and um, he is worthy to be praised by the way that, that he put together creation. It's some complexity, um, and it's just in the amazing ways that we are created. Um, everything that God has created demonstrates His glory, and He put in us a desire to glorify Him, and we ought to, because of the things that we see that amaze us. And that summarizes the privilege of being human in in knowing our Creator and being able to and longing to glorify Him, yeah, bring Him honor and glory. That's great. Thank you for that. So we'll look forward to what's going to come out uh, next time in the discussion. Let's see. Um, the Brett Hastings, I think you had the next one. Uh, Genesis 1, 24 to 2, 7. So that's created in the image of God, the dominion mandate. Um, God made him a living soul. Uh, so so what, how would you summarize the kind of the discussion you guys had? What was the themes coming out of it? Or the theme? uh, so... Some of the, the 
to, to summarize, um, it, it's a matter of, I don't know if that's going to help me summarize it. It's a matter of, of um, human humility to submit to the natural created order that God has made to follow what God has designed us to do and it's a matter of human pride to to try to throw all of those things off and essentially reject how he made us to have dominion over the earth um, and so uh, that's really good so <clears throat> seeing a contrast there between pride and humility and then it's it's fruits on either on either end of that that's fantastic so thank you very much. I think, uh, Bill, you guys have the next one. That's Genesis 2-4 to the end of chapter 2. And, you know, just the special creation of mankind. So what was the themes kind of coming out of your... Yeah, this was a special, the special creation of mankind, specifically how that might relate to, to work and aspects of work as well. So we, we, we noted that there's a holy responsibility. God gave man a holy responsibility to work. That, uh, that, that work, there, there's a distinction that we're making between work and toil, and that, uh, and that the provision of work and the, and the practice of work have both spiritual <coughs> and physical uh, connections that are, that, are, that, are, that are critical to understand. And addition to that, that, we also noted that there was uh, pre-fall work and, and post-fall work. So, and, and all of that was considered, all that is considered blessing, but, but of a different type and the uniqueness of, of man in that being the only part of creation given that mandate to work. Okay, fantastic. Work being a privilege that we have because we're mimicking our creator who works. Who, you know, Jesus said, my father is working until now and I'm working. And that's a joy for him to do that. And it's a joy for us to participate in work. Yeah, thank you. Great. Look forward to that discussion. And Mark, and your group was Hebrews 2 and kind of the fulfillment uh, themes in Christ, and then also fulfillment of Psalm 8 kind of thing. What, how would you describe or uh, summarize your guys' discussion? Yeah, the overall discussion was how uh, Adam had dominion, but sin thwarted that dominion, and how we have now Christ, and in his perfection, he's perfect, has complete dominion over that, and, and we're part of that dominion because we've been unioned with Christ. We're now part of Christ. We're now brothers with each mm -hmm. other. And we're looking forward to the millennial kingdom when we rule and reign with Christ and that dominion is fulfilled and cool. seen. Cool. So, Good. Yeah. Look forward to that discussion too. Thank you, uh, leaders, for leading this discussion. Thank you guys for participating. And I just want to point out that you have you've been practicing in your groups in some to some level, uh, observing and interpreting scripture together. That's what you guys have just been practicing, and you've been drawing out some of the implications from the text, those texts. That's what you guys have been doing. So take, take what you just practiced and try to go further with it in your own personal Bible study and also do this for your family devotions. Uh, I just came up with some questions, gave them to the group leaders and stuff, but uh, you guys can do the same thing as you read through a text, maybe come up with some thought-provoking questions that can draw out the implications of the text for your family. You know, do the same thing. Doesn't need to be a lot of questions. As you can see, just a few questions have generated a lot of discussion in the groups. You guys can do the same thing at home. So don't, uh, don't deny yourself the privilege of being human in practicing this 
observing, interpreting, and then drawing out implications from the text with your own families, okay? Let me, uh, let me pray. Thank you guys for taking the time to do that. I know that we've, we never have enough time, do we? And at the same time, God gives us the time that we need. So we understand that God is sovereign over the time we have. But when we come back next time, we will we'll draw out from each of your groups what you guys discussed, and we'll kind of fill it in and uh, go from there, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these men, for the, the time that we've had this morning to think about um, the, the great privilege that is ours in being your special creation, that we are created in your image. We're created as living souls. That is, we are flesh and blood. We are part of this material creation, and yet we're also tied to the immaterial aspects of creation. We have a, we have a spirit that's invisible, and our spirit interacts with the world around us through our bodies. And this is how heaven and earth come together. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and us being united in him and how he fulfills all things. He is our representative, our federal head uh, over a new race of humanity. And we are so grateful to be bound up in him and have eternal glory ahead of us. To your glory and your fame, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. Amen.